Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of This Week in College Football, brought to you by CFB Talk Daily. Today is Monday, March 9th. Uh, we're going to have a little interesting episode. It's gonna, we're going to answer a few questions, touch on a couple topics real quick. We have a nice, long interview with Mike Farrell from Rivals. Uh, it's probably one of, well, at least one of my favorite interviews we've done so far. I, I, I don't know about you, John. I don't know. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, but, you know, Mike talks to us about a lot of different things. Definitely something you're going to want to stick around for. But uh, first, earlier in the week, I tweeted out um, for some topics that people wanted us to discuss. So the first question that someone asked us, and I think this is a pretty interesting question, was uh, how do you think the Power Five conferences are going to be restructured in the next decade and if the Big 12 will expand? Uh, do you want to start on this one? Uh, well, I think that the conferences are going to be realigned, I mean, obviously soon. I think we're going to see the Pac-12 maybe disband. And I also think the Big 12 is going to see a lot of defectors. Uh, I don't think – I think there's some programs in there that shouldn't be in there because they're not up to par on the other level of the programs that are in there. And then I feel like Oklahoma and Texas well, – more, more Oklahoma wants to bolster, bolster up the conference so it becomes more of a – not like, a, oh, you play in the Big 12, like you don't play any competition kind of thing. So I actually think that – I mean, I said this a, a couple, couple years ago, and it didn't happen. This is a, kind of like a crazy scenario, which I think the Big 12 could just fall apart. And so you could see where well, I could see a team like, um, like say the SEC comes in and takes both Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, puts them and splits up the Oklahomas in the East and West, puts Texas in the West, so you have another rivalry in the West. Um. I think some of the schools that are on the west side, you know, on the west coast of Texas, closer to California, can move into the pack. I'm trying to think. Like, that kind of yeah, leaves but, Kansas and Kansas State without a home. I feel like the pack is, like, one of the weakest conferences, though. Like, the pack wants to, like, if anything, the pack is going to disband because Oregon and USC are going to leave. I, I just don't think that Oregon really has a place to go unless independent. I'll give them that. They could go independent for a few years on their own name. Probably it's longer than a few years. They could go on just name alone. But outside of the pack, they really don't have a home, like geographically. Well, I mean, you don't you don't know though, because I said what the next ten years. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they just go like, uh, like an NCAA like bracket kind of thing. Like maybe they go away from the Big Ten, Big Twelve. Like they kind of just make it like regional. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe teams. Well, it's like the that, that, that's a thing that could happen. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think anyone wants to join the Pac-12. No, I know. I mean, you know, but maybe teams join other conferences closer to them that they could jump into or something. Like maybe the SEC expands west, but something. I don't know who they. Yeah. Get next, but or I mean, like, if they need, they need to add Boise, that would be a huge addition. I would like Boise to the Pac. Boise to the Pac, a one for one trade. Yeah, I would like. I would like Boise in the Pac because Boise is a really good football team, even outside of. You know, the Mountain West. I think they'd still be a competitive and I believe they're also competitive in other sports. Not, like, great, but they're not, like, sludges. Yeah. So, you trade, uh, I don't know, like, a weak Pac-12 team for Boise. Yeah, you give up, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think who's the weakest of the weak Pac-12 team. You want to give up Cal? Yeah, I mean, you could give up Cal. But Cal. they don't really fit the Mountain West. Maybe, uh, they're on the coast, not really. They're Bay Area. Yeah, 
They're throw Stanford over there. No, you can't put Stanford. Stanford's a yeah, they're, they're good in sports. I think they're good for the Pac-12. Yeah, but just throw Stanford over there. No one's they're gonna not, miss Stanford. I would like Boise to go into a Power Five. They, I think they'd be a good team. They could even maybe be at the northern team in the Big Twelve. Just form that? the, just form the Northwest Conference. It would be there's only gonna be three good teams. Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State. All right, Oregon then State. Y- you would have Cal, Idaho, yeah. Boise State. Idaho dropped down <laughs> because they. Stopped. I know, but you gotta bring them back up. You gotta bring the Kibbe Dome. Dome will be full when they're getting blown out by Oregon and Washington. Oh, um, man, we really kind of went off track on this one. We started talking about our own made-up conferences. Which could happen, theoretically. Yeah. It's a theoretical question. All right, so um, the other question, we only got two coming in. It's more of a, I guess, an observation if we noticed, you know, anything. Was David Moore's suspension is now approaching five months with no resolution. NCAA seems to make decisions for Power 5 conferences much faster than the rest. Case in point, OSU and Chase Young. Uh, you seemed to know a little more David Moore background story. If you just want to do that real quick. Well, I think he uh, failed a drug test. He was, uh, let me restart that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he uh, failed the drug test and he was suspended for... And it hasn't been like given a date for suspension yet. So it's like indefinite still. And it's been like five or six months, I think. I mean, I'm trying to think off like the top of my head the last big story of a drug but I mean well how long was the what's his name from um Clemson suspended for even though he was going for the draft two years ago the lot the defensive one line game Lauren. for Osterin 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 yeah but that, that wasn't a uh, like drug it was like a chemical it's different I think uh, I mean well, I, P- P- I think PED is like Separate from substance abuse in like their eyes. Oh really? I didn't. I didn't realize that. Well, I mean, I don't think they like look at the kid like who like accidentally took a supplement and then the kid who's like shooting like needles into his arm is like the same. See, but like I understand his point with Chase Young because Chase Young, that was such a quick resolution. Like they came out of the suspension, they appealed, everything was done. But I feel like that kind of situation when it comes to money going through the school is much easier to figure things out and point arrows towards what happened than a drug situation. But, I mean, I think five months is a very long time. I think most things should be solved in five months. It certainly doesn't take five months in professional sports, and the NCAA, we're not a professional organization, but you know, they have the same kind of resources. Yeah, I mean, you want these kids to act like professionals. You kind of got to treat them like professionals, not have them wait around for months waiting for an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so the last topic we were going to talk about, or two topics, two, two topics. So one, Rutgers potentially leaving Adidas uh, yeah. per Richie S. Rivals. Because uh, I don't know if you, I sent you the pictures before, right? Yeah. Uh, pretty weird. If, if they're not leaving Adidas, quite weird of them to edit out all of the uh, Adidas logos. Yeah, I think that's very weird. And, and, and it makes me think, like... The only thing that makes me think they're not leaving is because, I mean, it'd kind of be hard for them if they already signed a new deal, though. But, like, they're selling Adidas uniforms. Like, if they're leaving, are they telling kids, like, well, you know, we're not going to be with Adidas, you know, very much longer. So these uniforms are kind of just, like, until we leave. Like, 
Um, well, that happened with uh, I don't think that's weird because that happened with the Nike ones. Like the recruits, the kids are taking pictures of the Nike ones, and then like the jerseys were just way different. Yeah, I mean, I would love for them to leave Adidas. I personally don't like anything Adidas makes for Rutgers pal. Me either. I, I like the uh, people hate this. I like the Rutgers uniforms that have like the uh, like rough edges on the shoulders, like. People hate those. Oh, the black and gray? Like the gray yeah, well, the black and gray, the, the red the red ones with the gray on the side. First of all, that was the last time I remember Rutgers being, like, decent. Like, uh, that game versus Teddy Bridgewater. So, I would really appreciate if I went back to those. Uh, I just don't want to go back to a boring, like... Oh, these Adidas uniforms have nothing, like... They look so boring. See, the thing I hated about the Adidas uniforms is... I get it's, like, the color scheme. Like, red and white's a very easy color. Just gives yourself like you know red pant, red top, white bottoms. But dude, like they just looked like every other team. Like, exactly, there, there was nothing crazy scheme. But like you closed your eyes and look at them, you'd be like, oh, that could be Nebraska, Ohio State. That could also be Wisconsin. You know, just by the jersey. They just yeah, yeah, so yeah. Much like I think else. everything about it was ugly. Although I did like the white helmet, which I was I I texted you. I was uh, verbally upset. That they got rid of the white helmet. And I like I like the New and, Jersey logo on it too. And th- they also got rid of the black helmet. I I did like those helmet like with the New Jersey logo in the helmet. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, or or the ones uh, that had the knight on it. Yeah. Like that was different. It, it's something different. And like as a one off or whatever, that's cool. Like it's like, you know, it gets people excited. Even like I feel like when you change uniforms like that and stuff. It gets kids who are watching kind of excited. Also, the fans have something to look forward to, even when a season's like that long. Yeah, like that long sleeve jersey they wore against Minnesota. Like, they weren't nice, but they were, you know, they were different. But when you're a team that's like not great on the field, at least you have something for you going off the field. You know, like, yeah. you know, people get excited about that stuff. Yeah, like I mean, we were talking about you know, like a week seven game against Minnesota because they were wearing a different uniform. Like, I wouldn't be tall. I wouldn't even be like turn that game on at any other time, unless they were wearing those uniforms. I just wanted to check them out. Yeah. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about is the Mac is back. The Mac attack, baby. And not matching. Yeah. The the, the original Mac attack. Mac, Mac Brown. Brown. He's killing it. I don't even think killing is the word. I mean, he's he's doing worse than killing. I don't know what's worse than killing. That's not much, but he's doing that. Yeah, they have nine commits, eight or four stars and higher. They got four of those commitments this week, and I think Evan Pryor, a top 100 player in the country, four-star running back, is going to commit to them this week. I think what's funny, because I've mentioned this before when we've talked about Mac Brown, is when I, I watched an interview with him on ESPN or something like that, and they were asking about how, like, you know, coaches are like their recruiting tactics against Mac Brown, and he was like, "Well, the only thing they got against me is I might die soon." But like, I feel like Mac Brown's the kind of person, just like from like stories I've heard, that like he's telling a kid, like, "Listen, I'm not gonna die. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna do 50 push-ups right now, and you're just gonna do it." Well, I feel like we had a, a UNC keep it on last year, a Camion mm-hmm. Rucker, and he said like his dad was like, "Boy, go hug, him. go go hug Coach Brown." Yeah, like, he's like, do you even know who that is? Like, like we don't understand who like Mac Brown, the coach, was because we weren't really around for his Texas days. But like, you look at it. I mean, you look at him. He's a he's an accomplished coach. He has a lot going. You know, his resume is as full as they come. Yeah, his dad was like, go shake, go shake Mac Brown hand. Like, 
<laughs> but it's interesting to see if how you know that'll change the uh, I guess the pyramid in the ACC. You know how oh, long no. can, they're back. How long can Clemson have this held success for? Florida State's down. How long are they going to be down for? Virginia and Virginia Tech are both mediocre at best. Yeah, so uh, real quick, I ran a poll Miami. today, and it said, is Mac Brown a top 10 head coach in college football? And 43% of the people said yes. That's it? Well, I'm just saying, like, 50, obviously the other 57% said no. But uh, I, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know where I stand on it. I haven't put enough thought into it. But, uh, yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I can obviously name a, you know, a handful of coaches who are better. But I think... If you really I w- want, like, I feel like you could argue him, him into that top ten easy. Yeah, like I wouldn't say someone like Tom Herman is better than him. Like no, and then there's guys who like just might be there because on like the school they're at, and, like what they're working with. Like I'm trying to think. Like all right, James Franklin. I James Ooh, Franklin's a great coach. hot he's take. A, he's a good coach, obviously, but, but I know we had success at Vandy before, but. Mm-hmm. Look at the talent he has. Does Mac Brown have that success at Penn State with the same talent? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, they, you know, and, and I saw some website the other day still had Chip Kelly in, like, their top 15. I mean, he created an offense. Not right now. He's probably one of those awful recruiters that Mike talks about because Chip Kelly doesn't believe in recruiting. But, um, yeah, it'd be hard top 10. I wouldn't be able to yeah, do I it. Yeah, I mean, like, you want to talk about guys who, like, changed yeah, football? Sure, that's fine. Him, you know, you can. You obviously got to mention Leach because Leach really brought the air raid in. But, I mean, to Chip Kelly hasn't gotten it done at UCLA. He left Oregon. He was easy, you know, he was in that conversation. He was, you know, national championship coach. He was probably a top five coach, yeah. Yeah, he left, went to the NFL, and he comes back, and they're, they haven't looked well at all. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of their defense is, like, very screwed up, but they're also... Chip Kelly just seems, like, so uninterested in that program. Like, he was all Oregon when he was at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, he also has always had a... Uh, that Greg Popovich kind of, like, smart attitude kind of, I guess. Even like, Keel? Uh, what... what? What do you mean, like, oh, like, what do you mean by, like, Coach Popovich? Like, I'm trying to think how you compare him to Pop. Well, like, he's always had, like, that, like, oh, Pop is different. He gets, like, he gets to act like that because he, what he's done in the past. But Chip Kelly tries to do it, and it just comes off very arrogant and, like, disinterested, oh. I feel like. Oh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Like, I don't mean it in a good way. I'm comparing it to, like, the negative side of Pop. Yeah, like if Pop hadn't won a uh, you know a bunch of national, I mean a bunch of NBA championships, like we'd just be like, this guy's an idiot. I see what you mean. Yeah, so I, I'm saying I feel like he's uh, like that. All right, um, I'm trying to think. There's nothing else we really got to hit on with UNC. Nothing, nothing um, else we got to hit on at all. Yeah, so we're gonna jump into the Mike uh, Mike interview, Mike Farrell. Um, you know, it's a pretty long one, but I mean, every minute of it's something funny. I mean, he has some funny things that he says, some funny stories that he brings up. Uh, so you're definitely going to want to tune into some of those. He leaves names out, unfortunately, but got to respect well, him for that. You can't blame him. Yeah, we can't yeah. blame him. We can't imagine gotta... him to be like, yeah, Coach O, this guy sucks. Yeah, I mean, some guys could lose their job over something. But, you know, but yeah, definitely want to listen to the Mike Fowler interview. I'll catch you guys on the other side.
right, guys, welcome back. We have a big interview today. We are here with National Recruiting Director at Rivals.com, Mike Farrell. Uh, Mike, thank you for coming on, man. No problem. No problem. I know we've been, we've been talking about getting this interview done for months now, it seems like. Yeah, you know, you got to go through my agent and then my agent's agent. And it's yeah. not easy to get me. Yeah, it's, it's not as easy as it is when we have, like, the high school kids on. No. <laughs> All right, so I know I know John's been uh, itching to have this one. John, open the open the interview off. Anything he wants to get out there now? Yeah, so I mean, I guess I want to talk about. I mean, before we get into like football stuff, uh, do you want to talk about like how like your start at Rivals was and like how you got to where you are now? A hundred years ago, it was twenty-three years ago, late nineties. Got into it doing uh, local recruiting, covering Boston College. Then they noticed me. They gave me a region. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, uh, I ended up going down the road to ESPN cause I'm in Connecticut and meeting up with some people and saying, you guys are missing out on recruiting. Uh, next day I was on TV and all of a sudden rivals kind of blew up and took off from there. So, you know, it was kind of something I fell into, but I always loved scouting, uh, football. You know, I did hockey before, way before, and then football, but there's no money in hockey. There's a lot of money in football. So, uh, football recruiting is definitely a passion of mine so but you see that's funny because i can relate to that because i'm actually a huge hockey fan as well but when, when i thought of like where could i uh, take this i went with college football because like you said there's money in football people care way more about football than they do hockey hockey players are tougher than football players though <laughs> i will say that that'll that'll tick off a lot of football players and make them step up their games a little bit but <laughs> hockey players are just animals but uh yeah football's life i mean that's what everybody cares about you know, it's really fun getting to see these kids, you know, over the years. I mean, you know, we're just watching the combine, you're covering mm-hmm. these kids four or five years ago or, you know, watching the NFL and seeing the guys that I covered, you know, 20 years ago or whatever that are still playing. It's just cool. There's guys that have been retired are in the Hall of Fame that I covered in high school. There's guys <laughs> that are head coaches now uh, on the college level that I covered in high school, too. So, you know, it's been it's been a lot of fun to, to follow those guys along. Yeah, see, they, that's what I like about it as well. Like, we've had a, a few guests on that have went to, like, big schools. Like, it's cool seeing, like, how they, uh, like, where their career goes and, like, following it. Yeah, that's why I love the combine. I mean, I geek out to that completely, you know, just because there's some smaller school guys that, you know, I, I look back on and it's a learning experience. You know, what do we miss about this kid? Why is he, you know, why was he a, a three-star, low three-star? You know, what did we miss on Joe Burrow as a mid-three-star and now he's the number one pick in the draft. And it, it allows you to sort of try to learn, but you're never going to get anything, you know, 100% correct. You're probably going to be 50-50. And, you know, for every, you know, Patrick Mahomes, who was a three-star, is now a NFL MVP, you know, you, you do hit on, you know, the Cam Newtons of the world who were five stars twice. Yeah, I'm sure there's guys like uh, Khalil Mack and Josh Allen who go to – I mean, Josh Allen went to Kentucky, but I think his only other offer was like Mammoth. So, yeah, and he was a wide receiver in Alabama and transferred up to New Jersey his senior year and played his first year on the defensive side of the ball in Jersey. Uh, we had him as a three star. He didn't know what he was doing. He just tackled everybody that moves, you know, like he tackled 11 guys to find the football. But he was very athletic, but he's really, really raw. And then he goes, refines that skill. He's a kid that sort of hit his stride right when he got to college, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then Mac. I mean, nobody wanted him. Buffalo ended up with him. Um, it just was bypassed by everybody. 
because he was not the physical freak that you see today. You know, he was sort of a skinnier kid who, you know, was wasn't very refined in his technique. And, you know, on film, you look sometimes and he just completely misdiagnosed plays. And then he turns into, you know, this freak of nature. So sometimes, you know, J.J. Watt was a two-star. Russell Wilson was a two-star. Luke Keekley was a three-star. Played safety mm-hmm. in high school. There's just so many different things where... You know, these guys start off, Antonio Brown was a quarterback in high school. And and you just don't know where they're going to go. It's That's what's cool about it. But, you know, everybody points out the misses. But, you know, honestly, there's just no way to tell. I'm trying to think of his name, but the, the offensive tackle for the Eagles was a freaking quarterback. <laughs> oh, um, Lane Johnson. Yeah, Lane Johnson. He was a quarterback. I know, a bad one. Uh, Travis Kelsey <laughs> was a bad quarterback in high school. You know, so, I mean, how am I supposed to figure that these guys are all pro tight ends, you know, eight, 10 years from now? It's 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 funny, but, you know, <laughs> it's also it's a, it's a fun job, but it's impossible. So yeah. how much like when because you're talking about like we just talked about a bunch of guys who when you talked about Mac, you know, kind of hit his stride when he got on the campus. And like I, I see a lot of guys talk about high school kids, you know, they talk about their projection, like they're projectable to gain, you know, 10 pounds to be a different player. Do you guys take that into consideration when you look at a kid like, oh, well, maybe if he gains, you know, 15 pounds his freshman year, he'll be, you know, this much better. So, you know, we might want to rate him a little higher off of his projection. Or is it based on what you saw that day or, you know, that group of film when you see no, him at the high school it's level? It's a combination. There's projections. You know, you have to look at some undersized kids and see how, how broad their shoulders are and how much weight you think they could put on. Um, you know, Terrence Lewis is a kid in this class who's not a huge linebacker. You know, we got him as a high four-star. The question is, plays like a five-star, can he get big enough? You know, he's 200-pound inside linebacker right now who projects to be an outside guy, and um, I don't know. You know, uh, Isaiah Simmons was, you know, a two, 200-pound, you know, safety in high school who we couldn't figure out <clears throat> what he was going to be. Is he going to grow into a linebacker? He's going to stay as a safety. Um, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're a tweener like that, it, it, it makes it tougher for us to evaluate because we just can't figure out what you're going to be. And, you know, we end up, you know, Isaiah Simmons was a high three-star and looking back at his camp stuff and his film, I'm like, well, we missed that. I mean, there was definitely four-star film there. Uh, but we were just sort of locked in on what is he going to be. If he gets to be a linebacker, will he slow down? Or if he keeps growing, will he be a slow safety? And you, you overthink sometimes. But we always look at frame and what they can do. Um, and then there's some kids who just aren't great football players, but mm-hmm. project to be really special athletes who will turn into football players down the line. So that's why we have the kids that are really raw. Anytime I use the word raw, which I use a ton of times, um, you know, that's what it means. It's a kid who's just doesn't know what he's doing yet, but man, he's put together. He can run like a deer. He can jump out of the building. Um, you know, if somebody coaches him up. He's going to be special. So when we first started, you uh, you mentioned you've been at Rivals for you said twenty three years. Well, no, you, when you first started, it was up in Boston College area. Yeah, well, Rivals have been at since nineteen ninety six, so uh, twenty four years now. But yeah, it, it was it started up prior to that. It was it was just doing BC recruiting stuff. So so how much has recruiting changed since then? Obviously, with the internet, it's you know completely different. Like, was it much harder for a guy to? 
you know, like one of those lower three stars who maybe ends up at, you know, power five school. And was it much harder for those guys to get noticed on film because it wasn't, you know, there wasn't the huddle and there wasn't Twitter to throw out your film and get it out into a platform. Like how, how much has that shaped in recruiting in the last 20 years? You know, it used to be VH, VHS tapes through the mail, and that was really the only way before, you know, platforms like Huddle came along. Um, you know, so in the early days, it was really hard for kids to get attention. Now, the advantage was that schools didn't fill up their classes, you know, a year beforehand. So they had room for a senior film. You know, they could evaluate kids as seniors and still had room in their class to go on them. Nowadays, you, you head into the... You know, you head into a kid's senior year um, and schools are 75 percent done with their class. So it's hard to discover somebody. So there's good and bad to it. Um, If you come on the scene late, even with Twitter and all the other avenues where you can get your film out there, you you can be in trouble because there's just no scholarships left for you. Um, But back then, getting a coach to actually open up a piece of mail with a VHS tape, pop it in. Uh, it was really difficult for kids to do that. Um, I remember the days, you know, where I used to get film, you know, unsolicited, solicited, whatever. My my address was on the website when we first started. And, I mean, my mailbox would just be tilted over with VHS film and stuff. And it's just... The more extravagant the package was, the worse the player was. And that's (laughs) something I learned very quickly. Like kickers send the most, they used to send the most beautiful, like we're talking like 16 page laminated booklet and, you know, pictures and, you know, high gloss pictures and, and they were just, you know, awful. So, you know, it's, it's really one of those things where you could have a busted up piece of mail with a, with a VHS tape that has dents in it, and you could find a great, great football player back then. But now, nobody's really discovering kids. If you're going to discover someone, you're going to do it at the seventh and eighth grade level, and and that's being done, you know, by the middle school camps like Next Gen and places like that, and and um, you know through Twitter and and through you know colleges and stuff. But back then, it was a lot more fun because you could discover somebody. No, that's funny because you just brought the VHSs because my, my grandfather coached up in North Jersey, uh, baseball and football, and he always tells me about towards the end of his, uh, I guess, coaching career, he had Antonio Garay. He was up at Rawway, and he always talked yeah, about Yeah, he went to Boston the, uh, College. I remember yeah, him. I figured yep. you remember him. Yeah, so yep. he remembers, uh, I think it was whoever was coaching in Nebraska at the time came in, and he had the films that had been sent out on VHS. And I remember when he was telling me that, it just seemed like such a wild concept, like you're sending film out in VHS form to coaches offices al golden recruited antonio garay to boston college yeah he my, was a young whippersnapper assistant coach uh, my, making his name in jersey yeah my father actually played with golden at, at st john's vienna oh know if yeah familiar with that yeah yeah frank speziani used to recruit jersey too for bc back then antonio garay and you know that was like the late 90s for new jersey prospects it was really really good um you know, the Augie Hoffmans of the world. And, you know, now Augie's a coach at Rutgers and stuff. It's just, it's kind of cool. But those old names, yeah, you know, that those bring back memories. You know, the Tom Bahalis and, um, and and guys like that, they all had interesting stories. Nowadays, there's interesting stories, but it's being told by, you know, 80 different people. 
So it's not as personal as it used to be. Yeah, so uh, before we were talking about some of the recruitments and uh, with social media, there's definitely been some wild recruitments as of uh, late. Do you want to talk about maybe the three most like unexpected or like wild turns in the recruitment that you followed? Uh, let's see. Alex Collins' mom running away from the high school <laughs> on National Letter of Intent Day with his letter, refusing to let him sign it was interesting. Um, <laughs> Trying to think of the kid's name that his mom forged his signature because she wanted him to go to one school. Floyd Raven, maybe. Um, you know, she forged his you know, signature and, and sent the letter to the wrong school because she didn't want him to go to the school he wanted to go to. There was a whole lot of behind the scenes stories, you know, Vidal Hazelton, who didn't make it, you know, he didn't pan out, but his the, the arguments between him and his dad. You know, he wanted to go to USC. His dad wanted to go. To, he wanted him to go to Penn State, and uh, you know, he went beyond signing day uh, to make his decision because they just kept going back and forth. And and at that time, you had to be over a certain age to sign your own letter. You needed a parent to do it, and he refused to do it. And um, Cyrus Quandro committing to Auburn, and then mm. who? I guess I mean the story goes. I wasn't there. Story goes, he literally threw up after he finished his TV hit when he came <laughs> to Auburn because he just knew he picked the wrong school. Um, and then the three days after that, I remember we got a blizzard up here in Connecticut. So it's like 20 inches of snow. And I'm tracking down Cyrus through his brother and his coach, Bill McGregor, and trying to find out if he's going to go to Alabama, which everybody in the world thought he was going to because that's where Ari was. You know, and then his brother releasing the news on Twitter on a Sunday after that Wednesday. There's just so many stories. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I could write a book, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it would be very interesting. I think the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, the real stories that I can't tell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if coaches – you know, falling asleep at the dinner table in a recruiting visit or <laughs> coaches dropping off assistant coaches at a recruit's house and going to watch a movie because he had no interest in recruiting. Um, you know, or or something just happened <laughs> this past year where a, a head football coach said something derogatory about a player and he didn't realize the player was right behind him. And they were trying to flip this player from a different school. And the kid heard, you know, what the coach said and just eliminated that school right away from that point on. So there's a billion stories like that. Urban Meyer stories are amazing, Um, you know, but a lot of them can't be shared because Mm -hmm. I just don't want to disparage coaches. But let's put it this way. There are coaches who love to recruit and there are coaches that hate to recruit. And the ones that hate to recruit – they don't last long, but they have the best stories because some of the things they do to avoid recruiting is just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was going to give you a, a few recruitments that I found pretty interesting in, in my short time following them. Uh, one of them being Cordarian Richardson. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember yep. the, that one. But uh, so we're both committed to 18 schools or something like the running back, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, he committed to like five schools in the week before mm-hmm. National Signing Day and then flipped on National Signing Day 
Um, yeah, so we're Rutgers and Oregon fans. So uh, I'm an Oregon fan. So I've been following recruiting since Cristobal pretty much got here because it's taken off so much. Like, um, another one that I found interesting was uh, well, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, the Dax Hill. That was a definitely an interesting. Oh one. yeah, yeah, because he flipped from what, yeah, what was it Alabama to uh, Michigan, Michigan, and then, and then flipped back and all this other stuff like. Yeah, Stefan Tuitt was another good one from back in the day because he committed to Notre Dame, um, you know, and then flipped to Georgia Tech for a day, mm-hmm. and then his mom found out and almost, <laughs> almost killed him, and uh, he flipped back to Notre Dame, and then you know got Reuben Foster with the tattoos, and then you got Wait, uh, what happened with Reuben Foster? Well, he oh, got he got an Auburn tattoo when he committed to Auburn on his arm. And then he flipped to Alabama, uh, <laughs> you know, so then he had the tattoo covered up in a way that it was a tribute to one of his ex high school teammates who had passed away, who had played at Auburn, but he really got the tattoo for Auburn. Like he was going to Auburn. Um, and he actually even had transferred from high school in Georgia to Auburn high school in Alabama. And, and, I believe he was living with an Auburn assistant coach, and I'm not going to say who, but he was actually living with an Auburn assistant coach. And, um, you know, then he flipped to Alabama, so he had, he had the tattoo changed. And then Aaron Lynch, who had committed to Notre Dame, and had, he, he sprinkled his grandfather's ashes on the field at Notre Dame, and then he flipped to Florida State, and then he flipped back to Notre Dame. But some of the things they do... You know, like Corey Foreman's got the number one player in a 2021 class. He's got a huge Clemson tattoo, you know, already. Well, Dabo Swinney takes a pro job or gets hit by a bus or something. I mean, so just, <laughs> don't do stuff like that. But there's been so many kids over the years that have done stuff like that. That, you know, I mean, the ashes is an interesting one more so than a tattoo. But, you know, how do you go? You can't go back and scoop up your grandfather's ashes when you decommit from Notre Dame and, and, and sprinkle them at Florida State Stadium. It's like Doug Walker. It's just some of the things the kids do. But they're kids. They don't know. You know, I mean, the, the, the ones that make the biggest mistakes are the ones that have no, no parental guidance or adult guidance. And, you know, that's the part where we can't get involved. We just watch it. So we're like... Um, you know, we're we're shooting a documentary here. If the zebra is getting attacked by three lions, there's nothing we could do. It's like, hey, have at it. We're just filming it, and that's kind of how recruiting is. You see kids making major mistakes. I mean, you know they're making a mistake, and you just let it be. Oh uh, yeah, I definitely uh, relate to that last part about it. knowing kids are making a mistake because you see a kid like commit to a school where they already have like an established player at that position. And like way higher rated kids like behind them, like, you know, highly touted freshmen or whatever. And then you see them commit to a class where there's like two of the same guys in that same position already. Like, like, you know, ask you, like, what are you doing? Like, but they all think they're the best, you know, that's the way it is. And, you know, listen, Justin Fields committed to Georgia after, you know, Jake Fromm committed to Georgia after Jacob Eason committed to Georgia. So Jacob Eason committed to Georgia as a five star quarterback. Jake Fromm said, I don't care. I'm going to go there. He beat him out. Eason transfers. Field says, I don't care about Prom. I'm going to go there. Prom beats him out. He goes to Ohio State. The landscape of college football has changed. You know, mm-hmm. had Field stuck with Penn State, 
or gone to a different school, we could be talking about a whole different playoff last year. So, you know, the, the mistakes are made. And then, you know, the transfer portal has allowed kids to correct them now. But 10 years ago, they couldn't really correct them. I mean, you know, they had to sit out a year. And if it was within the same conference, two years. And, you know, it's just I'm glad they're they're allowing kids to get waivers. And I'm glad they're probably going to pass that rule where you get one transfer without having to sit out. Because, you know, you do make a lot of mistakes when you're 17 years old. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, did you see what uh, Pat Narduzzi said yesterday about transfer portal? No, no. Uh, he said, and uh, I think I'm going to pull up the exact quote here. He said, "You look at the transfer portal going around the country. It's ugly. They should really call it the ugly toilet portal. It's not good for a lot of kids." Yeah, I mean, I get that because, well, here's the problem. You know, if you're Pitt and Pitt's mm-hmm. a fine program. But it's not a blue blood. You know, they were when Dan Marino and Tony Dorsett were there, but that was 100 years ago. They're going to get poached, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, if the transfer portal's there and the waivers are gone, what's going to happen is you're going to get kids to go to Pitt for a couple years and then see, you know, oh, well, geez, I'm going to jump in the portal. Now, it's risky because you jump in the portal, they could pull your scholarship. But if you're good enough, they're not going to do that. And then you can get contacted by any school. So then Nick Saban says, hey, want to come to Alabama? You know, so the richer get richer with the transfer portal. And I think that's what he's kind of talking about. Um, Mark Rick sort of said the same thing, you know, like he spends so many years recruiting these kids and then, you know, a couple of years building them up and coaching them. And then someone's just going to come, come along and steal them. But, but that's the coach's job is to keep those kids and build a relationship with them so they don't transfer. So I, coaches have the hardest job ever. I mean, assistant coaches and head coaches, those jobs are horrible. I mean, it's 365 days a year. It's never ending, never stops, no break ever. They get paid a ton of money, which is why mm-hmm. nobody feels sorry for them. But it's a really, really hard job. Um, so I get why the transfer <laughs> portal is a little crazy making. But for us, it's it's awesome, you know, because it's it's new recruiting. It's like recruiting 2.0. You got high school recruiting. And now you've got college recruiting. So now we've got news happening all the time. Like this week, we got kids decommitting for schools or, or committing to schools. And then you got kids jumping in the portal. So you got to follow this kid who just committed to this school or decommitted from this school. And then you got this kid who just jumped in the portal. And you got to find out what schools he's looking at. And it's just, it's an extra layer for college football fans. So it's going to make things a lot more fun, but it's going to drive coaches crazy. Yeah, uh, just one thing I wanted to touch on quick was uh, how you talked about assistant coaches. And I feel like a lot of people underestimate the value of a good assistant coach in a program and how much that affects a kid's recruitment. Like, uh, just relating back to uh, Oregon, uh, losing Dante Williams, like, the fan base was, like, in panic. And, like, I saw people saying, oh, it's not a big deal. But, like, I feel like it was a bigger deal than people thought. Yes, well, especially if he goes to USC. You know, if he goes across the country to Georgia – it's not going to affect Oregon as much, but if he goes to USC. Well, there you go. You know, I mean, you're recruiting in the state of California against the same kids and he's a dynamic recruiter and he's great re- with relationships. And, you know, those guys end up being head coaches. I mean, you know, a lot of the guys like James Franklin and Ed Orgeron and, you know, some of the other head coach Ryan day. I mean, these are all really good recruiters who love to recruit, who, mm-hmm. who got their, their, 
you know, their reputation through recruiting first and then coaching second. And it's so important to have somebody who loves to recruit, especially if the head coach doesn't. So Tim Brewster at Florida, Dan Mullen recruits, but he's not mm -hmm. Urban Meyer. You know, he doesn't <laughs> love it, but Tim Brewster loves it. So getting Tim Brewster at Florida is a big deal because now you got your guy who can lead your recruiting charge. So the assistant coaches, but they work so hard constantly. I mean, you know, there's just no break. <clears throat> they go on vacation and, you know, a kid text messages them and they don't respond. The kid's going to drop them. Oh, well, he didn't get back to me, you know. So they're sitting on the beach with their family trying to enjoy mm -hmm. a relaxing day. And, you know, some kid texts and they got to text back. And so it just never, ever, ever, ever stops for them. And I don't think people appreciate it. You know, I, I appreciate it because I know how hard it is to do my job. And their job is 10 times harder than my job. So, you know, that's why we give out the coaches awards and stuff like that, you know, for recruiters because they deserve it. But, man, I'm glad they're getting paid more, you know, because they definitely deserve the pay. Yeah, so uh, one last comment I want to make, and I think Matt has a quick question, was uh, you were talking about Ed on how he was a recruiter, and uh, we had Marlon Favorite on uh, about a month, two months ago, and he was talking about how Coach o walked into his living room, you know, made himself beans and gumbo in the kid's kitchen before even recruiting him. And he said that's something that was the lasting image in his head. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Coach O's known for a lot of different tactics. You know, he's known for, um, you know, he's known for ripping his shirt off quite a bit. You know, he does that. <laughs> that's his thing. At, at Ole Miss especially, that was his thing is ripping his shirt off. And, you know, he's just nonstop energy. I mean, that guy's just, I don't even know how he does it. You know, you talk to him and you finish talking to him and you feel like you could run through a brick wall. So, I get why he's become a great coach um, in the right situation. But, you know, another old story, you know, Macho Harris, you probably guys don't remember Macho Harris because you guys are young, but Macho Harris was a five-star defensive back out of Virginia, you know, and Virginia Tech used to get a lot of those kids back in the day. And Macho was going to go to a different school. Um, and Frank Beamer shows up at his house and there's smoke coming out of the house. And, the freaking house is on fire. Beamer <laughs> helps put out the fire and Macho goes to Virginia Tech. Like, you can't make that stuff up. It's just stuff happens in recruiting behind the scenes that is inexplicable, you know? And there's, there's a billion stories like that. And every kid that I've ever dealt with who's a five-star has a story like that. Um, you know, that's why I say, you know, a book might be interesting, but none of the, you know, Who's going to buy a book to read about Frank Beamer putting out a fire? But to me, <laughs> well, it's super interesting. Well, maybe if you spun it as in it was a recruiting tactic and Frank Beamer set the fire. Well, see, I thought about that first, too. And, <laughs> and of course, you know, the irony, Frank Beamer obviously being a tremendous legendary head coach has burn scar. You know, so it's like their whole thing is like, what the heck is going on here? I remember talking to Macho, who was a really nice kid. And I can't even remember his first name. His nickname was Macho. Uh, he was awesome. Really good player. Didn't pan out that well. I mean, he played well at Virginia Tech, I think. You know, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but didn't pan out the way we thought he would be. But, but my gosh, you know, just hearing the story. You know, or, or USC flying across the country to do an in-home visit and Percy Harvin's mom not letting them in the door. You know, <laughs> literally knocking on the door and she's like, you're not coming in. Because he was committed to Florida. 
I mean, you imagine that the time and money and energy that's spent on all this stuff. I remember, I remember Alabama came up to see Deshaun Hand at a game, and I was asking him, like, "Why are you here? You have no chance. He's a hundred percent committed to Michigan. He wasn't committed yet, but everybody thought he was going to go to Michigan." Mm-hmm. And I forget who the coach was, and he told me, "You, you never know. You got to show out. You got to show up." So the guy flew up from Alabama, you know, all the way to North Northern Virginia to watch a horrible high school football game. It was an awful game, <laughs> just so he could show his Alabama logo, and you know, talk to the kid after the game for just a couple minutes. And the next thing you know, hand commits to Alabama, and everybody's stunned. And it's just like, I, I just see these guys traveling around so much, and. So much of it's wasted time, but they got to do it. So that's why it's so hard. Yeah, so I, I guess one of my last questions is this is something that interests me. When when a kid starts getting to the age where like his rival profile you know, starts developing, how how many people does it take to like come up with a star for this kid? I mean, I'm sure it's not one guy who says, well, I think this guy is you know, a four-star or so and such and so. Or, you know, is it multiple people that come together, form an opinion as a group and you know something like that? How's that process uh, work yeah we have eight guys so i'm the director and then you know uh adam gorney's our national analyst so he's under me and then uh we have regional guys and adam also handles the west coast so you know he's our west coast guy we've got sam spiegelman who does texas louisiana oklahoma now he's doing arkansas um well i guess we're down to seven guys chad simmons does most of the Southeast, Rob Cassidy does Florida. Adam Friedman does the East Coast. Josh Helmholtz does the Midwest. So all of these guys, you know, start tracking these guys, watching film on these guys, going to millions of camps. We obviously run our own camps as well, but we also go to the other camps, you know, the Under Armour camps, Nike camps and stuff like that. Um, you know, film, film is, I think, the most important and bottom line evaluation tool. But getting to see these kids in person you could see a kid on film who looks six three, and then you, you see him in a camp. He's six foot flat, and he's a defensive end. It's like, oh, you know, you better be Dwight Freeney uh, because six foot is not going to cut it, no matter how good your film is. So, it's a combination of of I think there's seven of us now, um, you know, that do this, and we meet, uh, you know, every few months, and we go through every position, and we talk about every kid we've seen. And if we haven't seen a kid in an evaluation period, you know, he essentially stays where he was, but he can fall because others can move ahead of him. Um, You know, so I think anything that's a move of like 20 spots nationally, you know, if you fall from 42 to 62, it's not a big deal. Um, But anything that's, you know, a bigger than 20 drop or rise is a big deal. And that means we've evaluated you and felt we had you overranked or underranked or whatever. But, you know, I wish I had a team of, a hundred, you know, but that's just the way it works. And the NFL is very similar. It's geographically cut up. Uh, college football is very similar as well. The coaches are geographically cut up. Um, you know, the difference in college is that the wide receiver coach has a recruiting territory, but he's also involved with all the wide receivers. We don't split it up position wise like that. It's just geographical, but our guys work like crazy. You know, they're on the road all the time. I I figured you guys have a bigger team than seven. I mean, you guys do four years or from freshman year to senior year. You guys are doing a lot. That's impressive. It's only seven of you guys. 
Well, I will say this. We have a publisher network also that, that goes out to games and film stuff and, and, and you know, gives us their feedback as well, you know, yeah. and, and that's helpful, certainly. Um, now, again, you know, if you're a publisher of a certain team site, you may be biased towards those teams' players, so we have to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but not everybody's like that. You know, some guys will say, listen, you know, this kid's committed to the team that I cover, but he's really not that good. Um, so, you know, we have hundreds of people in the network itself, but as far as the decision that's made, there's seven people on that phone call. Eight, actually. I should say eight. We have a floater. You know, we have <laughs> Woody Womack is our floater. He travels to every camp. He goes to a ton of seven-on-sevens. He doesn't have specific states that he's assigned to but he is on the rankings call. So there's eight of us that make the final decision and that's it. Period. You know, if you got more than that, I've been in meetings with more than that. It's horrible. It won't work. And I've also been in situations with less than that. And you're just, you're spread too thin. So, you know, eight is, eight isn't the perfect number. I'd, I'd like to have 10, but you know, such is life. Uh, but I don't think we could do it with like five. Yeah, so I, I guess my last this is the last question I have. Um, as John brought up earlier, I'm uh, I'm the Rutgers guy. He's a big Oregon fan. Now, what do you think as a uh, as the reporter, and you see all these kids all over the country for the Greg Schiano hire? Like, how do you feel they did it with that hire? All right, I'm going to be brutally honest, as I always am, and that's why everybody hates me. <laughs> okay, a Greg Schiano is as good a hire as Rutgers could have made. You know, I mean, they weren't going to get. Urban Meyer out of retirement, and they certainly weren't going to get, you know, uh, John Harbaugh or, you know, some Super Bowl, you know, coach, you know, Bill Belichick, somebody like that. I know John Harbaugh didn't win a Super Bowl, but he went to one. Um, no, he actually did win. He went over his brother. So anyways, they were going to get that guy, but they're going to get, you know, Shiano coming back is, is, is huge because he knows New Jersey. He knows South Florida. He can recruit those areas like he did when he was there. The problem is, back then they were in the Big East, and they were also winning games in the Big East, I believe, if I remember correctly, when Miami and Virginia Tech were transitioning to the ACC. And Boston College hadn't transitioned yet, but Miami and Virginia Tech. So it was a watered-down Big East. So when they had their run there, they had 11 wins one season. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was perfect timing. Um he still had trouble keeping kids in state because, you know, the Will Hills and Brian Cushing's of the world are all going to go to these bigger schools where they can win national championships. They're in the Big Ten East now. That's death. Um, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. You know, Michigan State's got a new coach now, Mel Tucker, Dunder D'Antonio. They were good. They made the playoff once. That is a rough division. So for Rutgers fans that think, you know, okay, we're going to break through. And I say this to Maryland fans as well. You are in the wrong division. You might as well be in the SEC West. That's how bad it is. So great hire, as good as you can get for Rutgers, but is he going to restore that magic and win eight games, nine games, 11 games? No, it's not going to happen. I mean, I would agree with pretty much everything you just said. I mean, for the most part, I mean, when they were still hiring, me and John were very... As far away as you can get, John was very anti-hiring Chiano. I was always for it. Um, the only question I'd have to ask, and I mean, you would obviously know more about it than I would, is I remember 
Like when when A and M made the transfer from the Big Twelve to the SEC. Uh, I guess I would imagine their recruiting pitch would be, you know, instead of leaving the state of Texas to go play in the SEC now, you can stay in it. You know, I, I, my hope is that Chiano can kind of use that instead of, you know, you're going to lose the five stars most of the time to Michigan and Ohio State. I get that. A lot of people on, like, the Rutgers fan pages don't. Um, but I understand that. But, like, four stars, like, I, 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 I think that at least he could say, you know, why are you going to go to Michigan when you could stay here and play right away? That's that's my hope, at least. Yeah. Now I get he'll get <coughs> some players to stay home. You know, there was a time when Jalen Berger was going to go to Rutgers. You know, it just so happened Wisconsin gets every New Jersey running back, and you know they turn him into Heisman candidates. So I mean, the situation was too good for Jalen Berger to pass up. Uh, but. The problem is, yes, when Texas A&M left and went to the SEC, they went to a stronger conference, and they were able to use that in recruiting against Texas. The problem is they found themselves recruiting against Alabama and LSU. And that is great. You know, they finish, let's say they finish eighth in the country, and but they're fifth in the SEC, you know. So mm-hmm. that's the problem for A&M. The problem for Rutgers is that the move to the Big Ten brought the – Big Ten into New Jersey. I mean, you know, look at what Michigan did. You know, they hired Partridge and they got guys like, you know, Rashawn Gary and Jabril Peppers and guys like that, that they may not have gotten before that. Um, because now the Big Ten network was in New Jersey and, you know, their pitch is why go to Rutgers and win three games when you can come to Michigan and win 10 or maybe compete for a national championship and you'll play, you know, a game at Rutgers every two years, you know, so you play a game twice in your career there and your family can watch you on TV when they can't make a trip out to Ann Arbor. So for Rutgers, you know, it brought Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State into New Jersey even more. And that's what hurt when you don't have a strong head coach like Chris Ash is a good coach, but he wasn't a great recruiter. Uh, Flood was just a disaster as a recruiter. So, you know, when you allow those teams to sort of get a foothold in your home state, it's so hard to get them out. Virginia is now that state you know, where Virginia Tech used to land them all, and then Mike London came in and, and got Quinn Blanding and Andrew Brown and guys like that. Now, everybody raids Virginia, and none of the top kids stay, and that's kind of what's happened at Rutgers. So I get the hope. Listen, everybody's got to have hope. I'm not going to say Rutgers is going to be horrible forever, and I'm not going to say Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State are going to be great forever as well. I mean, look at what Penn State happened with the whole sanctions and, you know, you just don't know what could happen. Um, you know, and I mean, what was it? 10 years ago, Kansas won the big 12 with Mark Mangino. Nobody in a million years would have thought that that could happen. So it could happen, but it's just a tough, tough division. I think they really, you know, I get that's East and West and obviously Rutgers and Maryland are East. And, you know, the whole contiguous states thing in the Big Ten, and they wanted to. But, man, they dumped them into the wrong division. <laughs> At least one of them should have thrown in the West so they had a chance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think when they first hired Chiano, they asked Urban Meyer on Fox Sports, on the Big Ten network, actually, they asked him, uh, you know, what, what chances they think of Chiano has, and he said he's in the wrong conference to do it. And I agree with that. I, I, I don't think they have the whole, you know, 11 wins is not in my – uh, hope you know, just competitive games is more along the line where I'm hoping for. 
Well, that's what you really, you know, I mean, what was it, 72 to 7 yeah, or something against like, Michigan? You, yeah. you can't have that. You just 78 0. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, and then Ohio the State the rolls game. in there and wins 62 to 7 or whatever. I don't even know the scores, but you just can't have that. That's just, that's awful and it's embarrassing and it's no fun for fans at all. You want to have a chance at pulling an upset or being in a game in a fourth quarter. And Shiano yeah, can get them to that point where they're not going to be the embarrassment that they've been because he's a good coach. Um, a good recruiter. I don't know if he's a good coach. I don't know. Yeah. Though one thing I will say, I was very anti Shiano, as Matt said. Shockingly, I know this is probably going to drive you off the walls. I was all on the Butch Jones train. But, uh... mm-hmm. Well, see, Butch is a great recruiter, but not a good coach. Some guys are good talent evaluators. I mean, Butch Jones found uh, Antonio Brown and J.J. Watt, okay? Found both of those guys when nobody wanted them. That guy could find talent, and he can recruit, as we saw at Tennessee. Cannot develop players very well. Did it in Cincinnati with the three stars. You know, when you get a three-star playing like a a three-and-a-half star, that's great. But when you get a five-star and you got to get him to play like a five-star, Butch Jones isn't your guy. So, you know, Shiano is – see, a lot of people also worry, is this going to be Randy Edsel? You know, oh. Randy Edsel. Oh, you don't good. want to get us going on Randy Edsel. <laughs> well, I'm not a big Randy Edsel fan. Randy Edsel was good at UConn, but that was again in the Big East, and it was the perfect storm. And then he comes back, and now they're the worst team you're ever going to see, and it's a colossal failure. And you know, he's just sort of taking the state's money. Um, Shiano's not that guy. I mean, he's better than that, and they're going to be better than that. So, you know, I don't look at it like, you know, a retread higher you know shiano went off for the bucks he got his money he was a horrible coach with the bucks uh the players didn't like him he came back you know uh it was defense coordinator at ohio state uh, yada 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 had the tennessee job and then twitter got rid of that and then now he's at Rutgers. so he's a good hire i'd say that's an a a hire you know you can't do better than that if you're Rutgers, and he's not going to be an embarrassment like UConn is so you know but again it's tough being a Rutgers fan man I mean it really is you you had that one (laughs) high area you know where things were cool and you were winning games but even when you went to a freaking bowl game you went to the Texas Bowl and they didn't even put it on TV that's just insulting it's the only bowl I've ever heard of in my entire life that wasn't televised yeah, or or they, I mean, they played, I mean, luckily they won the game. I think it was 08 or 09 when Russell Wilson was still at NC State. They drew that game. I mean, well, Wilson, they won that game, I believe. But, yeah. I mean, they, they they go and they play but against I mean, the team even, who theoretically should have beat them. And well, even when they had the great season, though, I think they ended up in the Texas Bowl, right? Like 11 wins uh, in the Texas the Bowl. 11. Oh, yeah, they played Kansas State that year, I believe. But, they, but the, 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 you know, like UConn went to the Fiesta Bowl, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. And then Rutgers has a great season, and they just happened to fall on a year where they they certainly didn't win the Big East, and they finish, you know, third, I think, even with ten wins, and they end up in the Texas Bowl, which was supposed to be on the NFL Network, which was got canceled on televised. And Rutgers just gets screwed every which way, you know. It's just the it's just bad luck. Um, so listen, I respect you as a Rutgers fan. It's hard. And people think I crap on Rutgers all the time, but you know, I'm just honest, you know, well, from what Slice. I've seen on Twitter is, uh, people think you're crap. If you say one negative thing about their team, 
they're like, oh, Mike, you hate this program. Yes. You never give us any credit. Right. And then you're like, I just talked positive about you guys yesterday. Well, that means I'm doing my job. And a lot of these people in this industry, you know, don't do their job. They suck up to every fan base and they don't give you any honest opinions. And I don't know how they remain any credibility because, you know, if you keep saying great things about players over and over again and they're all going to be great, 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 great. And then half of them end up stinking. Or if you say every recruiting class is great and then the recruiting class turns out to be a dud, like, why would you ever listen to that person again? But fans will listen to anybody who says anything positive about their team. I'm just not that guy. I'm just not going to cater that way. You know, Alabama fans think I hate them. I mean, come on. You guys finished number one in recruiting 10 out of 11 years or something. You know? Well, that's not because of you. Well, no, it's not. I rank the players. Alabama recruited them. But, you know, I'm ranking the players. It kind of goes hand in hand that Alabama is getting the best players in the country. I don't hate Alabama. Otherwise, I would drop a star from Alabama kids every time they committed. And we don't do that. But people think we do. It's amazing. The conspiracy theories are just absolutely amazing. And fans are just so rabid. I love it. I really do because that just shows the passion of college football. You just can't find it anyplace else. Yeah, we hear the we hear the conspiracy theories. They message us with their own theories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they every listen as long as every program thinks I hate them, then you know that means I'm doing my job right. If if everybody thought, oh, you know, Farrell's a Florida fan, you know, and he hates every other program, or Farrell's a Texas fan and he hates every other program, that would be a problem. But, you know, Oklahoma fans think I hate Oklahoma, but Texas fans think I hate Texas. And that's the way it should be. Um, you know, just fair and balanced is what it is. And, you know, nobody wants to hear anything negative in this world. Uh, and, and I don't like putting out negative stuff, but I'm always going to tell you the truth. So, you know, do I think Rutgers is going to break through and win the Big Tennies? No, it's not going to happen. Yeah, so just the uh, last thing I want to end with, and then uh, we'll wrap up because I know you got a pretty busy schedule. Is uh, you didn't want to get us started on the Randy Etzel tidbit because uh, someone very close to us, one of our close friends, went to high school with him, uh, got a scholarship kind of pulled from Randy Etzel mm-hmm. when he first got hired at UConn again. You probably know, mm-hmm. who, you might know who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we don't usually use his name though because you know NCAA no. stuff and yeah. Well, he's it's not that's not new. You know, I mean, when he went to Maryland, he drove kids off the roster. I mean, more kids transferred out of Maryland than ever. You know, he didn't tell his kids at UConn in person that he was leaving for the Maryland job. You look at the transfer portal now, it might have, might as well be called the UConn portal. I mean, there's yeah, like 30 kids. La- yeah, I think last count was like 29 kids, you know. So, yeah, I mean, you don't have to say anything else. Yeah. You know, your, your actions speak loudly for you and your reputation is made in this industry through your actions and uh you know you won't you just won't find a whole lot of fans out there um and i think even uconn fans are like you know this isn't working well yeah because you know you put up you have the worst defense in the nation but sure you're getting fifty thousand dollar bonuses for you know getting three first downs in the first quarter yeah and then you know the whole nepotism lawsuit and all that stuff and you know there's just a whole lot of stuff UConn is interesting because I live in Connecticut so you know Gino Auriemma is I've never met him but from what I've heard just not a nice person and I know Jim Calhoun 
not a nice person. I don't know what it is, but you know what? Gino's won double digit national titles. <laughs> Jim Calhoun's job at UConn for basketball was as good as anybody's ever done because I mean, they won three national titles, two under him at freaking UConn, you know, uh, when I grew up, is they played at the field house in front of 3,000 people and nobody cared. Um, you know, and Randy Edsel, the first roll around, I mean, they went from FCS to FBS and he got them to the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, these are amazing accomplishments, you know, but just because you accomplished something, I guess, doesn't mean you have to be a, a great person. So, but it, trust me, there's a whole lot of coaches out there that are in the same category, just not great people. Yeah, I mean, that's and then there's some uh, that are awesome. There are some that are great. So, you know, like everything else. Yeah, there's especially some not nice coaches, uh, like Zach Smith and all that. And just crazy <laughs> stuff. It's uh, funny because I don't know anything about their personal lives, right? So I dealt with Zach all the time. You know, he's mm-hmm. always good to me. You know, you, you give me a heads up on this, that, and the other. You know, we offered this kid or this kid's going to commit, blah, 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 you know. And then you find out all this other stuff, which you don't, you just don't know because I, I, I don't, he's not my buddy. I don't yeah. have a buddy in college football. You know, all they want is stuff from me when they want stuff from me. You know, hey, how you doing? I'm like, you don't care. <laughs> I, I know what you're calling for. You want rankings. I get it. You know, um, so there are no friends. But there are a lot of people in this industry that want to be friends with coaches and want to impress those coaches. And, you know, as a result you know, there's a lot of credibility in the industry that's been lost with all these little pop-up sites and, you know, all these guys that run <coughs> fan sites that say they're not fans, um, but they're fans. You know, I, I, I don't even know the names of some of these sites, but you, you, you tweet out something and you, you leave somebody off a list or something. And the next thing you know, this guy who runs, you know, such and such.com, which is supposed to be like a, a, a site about a, a football team, and he's the biggest rah-rah fan ever. And he's like swearing at you. And I'm like, where's the professionalism that occurred, you know, back in the day when people would cover teams and not be fans. So, mm-hmm. you know, this, 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 this space has become very, very crowded and it's okay. But, um, you know, it's brought in a lot of people that just don't, shouldn't be doing what they're doing as far as, you know, covering recruiting or, or having the responsibility of talking to these kids. You know how many kids I could have sent to different schools? I mean, over the years, hundreds and hundreds of kids asked me, Mr. Farrell, what school should I go to? I'm really torn. You know, I'm down to these two or these three. And I could have told them where to go and they would have gone. You know, and that's what worries me is that there's guys out there today that might be telling them where to go. You know, mm-hmm. and that, that, that's scary really scary so that's why you need the transfer portal too many kids uh too many too many voices in these kids ears now and i sound like the old man is saying get off my lawn and i am (laughs) i'm cranky and old and i've seen this industry you know just it's a great industry but i've seen i've seen too much yeah i think that pretty much about uh wraps everything up john you have anything else you want to throw in before we end it up no, I mean, not really. Although, I got to say, it is pretty uh, surreal having you on our podcast because, like I said, I used to read your uh, articles when I was in, like, high school. It was, like, three or four years ago, sitting in class and, like, 
teacher's talking about chemistry, and I'm reading about, like, Jabril Peppers takes visit to Michigan, and I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah, that's the funny stuff is, like, a lot of guys who run sites, you know, like Twitter handles, like your, yours, are, you know, I reach out to them. You know, they're obviously, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, uh, to, you know, if you've got a good following, I want to know who you are so that we can banter back and forth. And, you know, engagement is important. Talking football is fun. But everybody I've talked to, you know, one of the dudes who runs another Twitter handle, with a ton of followers he used to be on our main board and i didn't know that oh yeah i used to call you names on our main board all the time and i'm like (laughs) oh all right cool but i'm a huge fan you know and then some of the guys doing edits and stuff like that you know i i i I reached out to one of them the other day and he says is this the mike farrell and i said what what (laughs) you know like cam newton hit me up the other day and i was like is this the cam newton it's cam newton you know he's a NFL MVP went to a Super Bowl millionaire number one overall pick. So for me to say, is this D Cam Newton, which of course he had a blue check mark, so it was a stupid question. That makes sense. But for people to ask me, is this the Mike Farrell? I'm like, what are you nuts? But I've been on planes and stuff, and people in front of me have been talking about me. It's surreal. <laughs> and not in a nice way. You know, like, oh, this Farrell wrote this about this. He hates freaking virginia tech i can't stand him what a jerk and i'm just hearing this and i'm like this is really weird and surreal so i've had parents show up to my hotel room have no idea how they found my hotel (laughs) wanting to bitch about their kids ranking and stuff like that it's just nutty it's a little little niche world but it's it's amazing to run into guys like you that say oh i'm a big fan i'm like what i didn't know i had fans all i know are people (laughs) yell at me all the time you know (laughs) But yeah. I guess there's the quiet majority out there that enjoy the stuff we do and follow it along and and get inspired to run us, you know, Twitter handle like you guys do and have fun with it. So that's the good part about the job is, you know, but man, you guys are young. Jesus, you were just in high school four years ago. That's, yeah, I didn't yeah. want to bring it up when you said well, you were both geez. for 24 years. I didn't yeah. want to tell you. That's, that's longer than both of us. Uh, yeah, I know. I get it. <laughs> I run into that all the time. Like every Every time I'm reminded, of some, I forget what it was recently, but somebody reached out to me that I used to cover, you know, in, in high school. And they're, you know, they're now an assistant coach at a college or something like that. And, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, this kid to me is this snot-nosed little 17-year-old kid that was running around 20 years ago that I was evaluating. And now he's you know, next in line to be the offensive coordinator at a power five school. And it's just, to me, it's very surreal, but that's what happens with experience. I mean, the only thing I got going for me is experience. (laughs) Once you get old, that's all you got, you know? So I'll, but I, but I'll tell you what, there's nobody else on this planet that can say, Hey, this kid reminds me of Kevin Jones when I saw him in high school, or, you know, this kid reminds me of Sean Taylor when I saw him in high school. And that's cool. That's really cool. And hopefully that makes me valuable. Uh, and hopefully it keeps me at Rivals forever. So, Yeah. So uh, I, I know we said we were going to wrap it up, but I just had one last thing now to say, and then we're really done. But um, <laughs> we actually had a, a recruit on probably two or three months ago. And uh, we're talking, and he's like, oh, yeah, like uh, the other day I was playing with uh, Cam. Uh, and we're like, Cam? And he's like, yeah, you know, Cam Newton, he's my uh, – my seven on seven coach. We're like, what? Like, that's crazy. 
and he just said it so casually, and now you said it's so like I guess Cam Newton's really like just reaching out to everyone. Well, no, Cam's Cam's very very involved. I was Cam was a five star for us out of high school, and then he was a five star at a Blinn JUCO, and he always was kind of like an immature kid, and a little bit of a pain, but. You know, and then he, you know, in the NFL, he's polarizing because, you know, sometimes he could be like depressed cam, you know, or mm-hmm. angry cam, you know, when he doesn't win or what, you know, you see the, the faces of cam, but cam with those kids, he's been running, you know, he's been running seven on 17 forever and down in Georgia, he really cares about those kids and he really does want to promote them, you know? So when he was reaching out to me, he's like, you know, Hey, we have this seven on seven tournament. Can you guys cover it? I really want to get some exposure for these kids and stuff like that. So, and more and more X players are getting into that, um, which is kind of cool, you know, cause then, you know, the guys, once they're done with their NFL career, you know, like Dion's involved with a bunch of kids and stuff like that. Jerry Rice, uh, you know, guys like that getting involved with the kids is, is cool because, you know, the kids get to learn from somebody who's been through everything. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I get to talk to guys that, you know, not Cam, but, you know, Jerry Rice, the freaking legend, like Eric Dickerson. I talked to Eric Dickerson. I was like, Gaga, like he's it's the crazy. best running back I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, so he's like, yeah, yeah. So he's involved and I love it. I think more and more ex players should get involved in this stuff and mentor these kids. And, and we're starting to see it, um, all over the place. So. But Cam's a good guy. Cam's a good guy. He's just, I think he's misunderstood. All right. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to come on our podcast. Uh, anything else you want to say? Or... No, this one's going to get millions of listens. That's the hope. I don't think it will. My podcast, nobody listens to. I do one, you know, usually every week, but sometimes I get lazy and do it every other week. Like yep. 500, 500 people to listen to it. It's horrible. I wish yeah, not, 500. <laughs> it's yeah, not promoted we well like or anything like hundred. that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not really pushing it that much, but you know, it's just kind of depressing. You spend all this time on it and then you're just like, Ugh, nobody's listening, but what are you going to do? Podcasts are hard and, you know, Twitter handles are hard to grow and, you know, all this stuff. So anyways, I'm glad you guys, I know this was more like, rather than getting listens, this was more like you guys, you know, wanted to talk to me and have me on and that's flattering and cool. So I'm glad to do it. Yeah, Mike, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, like I said, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of good stories you have for us, a lot of name dropping, which we, we love name dropping here. Uh, any, anytime you want to come on and talk, you know, floor is always open for you, man. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And I appreciate the retweets and the, the bantering and all that stuff too. So I'll, yeah. I'll be back on. Um, Mike, thanks, <laughs> all right, man. Thanks. All right. All right, guys, that was Mike Farrell over at Rivals. He's, you know, obviously the pioneer for recruiting. So anytime you see a star, you can associate it with what he did. Also, he's up and running Rivals Draft. It's going to be more draft-geared stuff. Uh, So if you're more of an NFL guy who just wants to hear about some draft stuff coming out of college, definitely give him a follow on that account. Uh, But until we get you guys on the next episode, you know, keep tuning in, keep looking at the tweets, and thank you guys. Appreciate all your followers.